next Sunday because <clears throat> of your continual faithfulness here at Victory Church. Next Sunday, Pastor Scott Horde will be with us. He's not going to be the one preaching that day, but he is going to share a little bit uh, before the sermon, and then he'll have a booth outside in the lobby. And he's one of the many missionaries and ministries that we get to support because of your continual faithfulness in supporting Victory. And you can tell just by that testimonial video what his ministry is about. And he's a phenomenal guy. One of the things he'll probably share is not only does he communicate the need to uh, not have an abortion, but he does all he can to take in the baby, uh, to be able to provide for the baby. So if the mom decides to keep it, he'll help resource. If the mom says, I'll have the baby, but I don't want it, he'll take it in and adopt it. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal ministry. And we've been supporting him now for about three or four years through Victory Church. And I just love to bring him in occasionally and let you meet him, let you see what we're a part of. And so hopefully you'll be here next Sunday to be able to shake his hand and uh, just hear a little bit more about what he's doing. My name is Troy. If you're visiting with us, me and my wife, Darla, get the incredible privilege of pastoring this church. And I want to give you just a couple of announcements before we get into the Word today. First is Growth Track will be happening today after church. All right, go on, come on. We can get excited about it. Uh, so what we're doing here is we're trying to build what God's doing through Victory, and one of the best ways we do that is through our dream teams. And so uh, this Sunday after church, you can go for about 30, 35 minutes, and you can learn more about the church, more about your involvement at the church, uh, and then be able to join one of our dream teams continue to do what we're doing every week here at Victory. So let me tell you, this is a big announcement you need to be listening because this impacts you. So I mentioned last week that we're going to start a summer schedule. And so when we got the building in February, we spent two and a half weeks renovating, getting it open. Then we prepared for Easter. We went to two services for Easter, and then we kept two services for about four or five weeks, and we're learning different things. And so for the summer schedule, we are going to return to one service for the summer. So starting next weekend, which is Memorial Day weekend, we'll have a nine o'clock service only. All right, everybody say, oh, I know those of you that like to sleep in, you're not going to like that too much, but it's just for a couple of months. We need to fine tune some things. We need to work out some different things and get us ready for the fall and what we're expecting to continue to be great growth as we move out into this area. And so again, starting next weekend through June and July, it'll be just a nine o'clock service. So Memorial Day weekend, it starts for those months. So do us a favor and set that alarm early uh, and go ahead and get involved in here during that one o'clock, during that one service, Sunday service. And then it gives us a little bit of time to strengthen some things and be ready for the beginning of August. Because in the beginning of August, y'all know what it is? We start at the movies. Yeah, you excited about that? So it's going to be a great time together. And we want to get prepped and be completely ready for it. You ready for the word? Yeah. Here we go. If you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on the Bible that you brought, whatever. And of course, it'll be on the screen behind me. We're in a series called Live the Dream, where we've been studying through Joseph's life, 37 to 50 in the book of Genesis. And we've been bringing out different things. The first message, we talked about the danger of a dream and how we have to make sure that we're not confusing God's dream for our life for our dream. Last week, I talked about dream killers and the kind of things that are out there that can actually kill our dream. And I even brought it around to saying we are the, the highest potential of dream killer because of how we think and the way we process and expectations and different things. And then today I want to bring a thought out that you may not have caught before in reading this that was very challenging to me, and I hope it'll be encouraging for you. So we're going to start reading in Genesis 37, verse 2. We'll read about verse 8, and then we'll get into the word. It says, Joseph, a young man of 17, so Joseph was 17, was tending to the flocks with his brothers, the son of Belhah and the sons of Zelpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about his brothers. Now Israel, that was the father's name, loved Joseph. 
Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. That word ornate or ornate is uh, patterns, different colors. It's where you hear people say he had a multicolor coat and different things like that. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around me and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him. This is important. They hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning from the idea, lose the coat. Lose the coat. From a very young age, we are both encouraged and honestly pushed to move to a place of self-sufficiency. For example, uh, you know, in an early age, you are encouraged to learn how to, to, how to eat on your own, how to talk on your own, how to walk on your own. Eventually, you're encouraged to learn how to dress yourself. Uh, how to turn the TV on for yourself, how to uh, you know, get, get yourself ready for school, get yourself ready for whatever it might be, how to clean your own room. You're even sometimes or later in your life learning how to do your own laundry, right? Uh, at some point, you got to learn how to drive your own car so that at some point you can get your own job so you can make your own money so that you can move out on your own, right? Get your own house so you can have your own family and start your own career, and so this is always kind of the communication of our culture. Now, I'm not saying it's bad. Obviously, we don't need to be 60 years old living in our parents' basement. But when that is the focus, when that's the constant communication, if we're not careful, we think that's the goal. We think that the ultimate goal is self-sufficiency. And because of that, there's something in us that kind of hopes that once we achieve our dream, we will no longer be in need. Okay, so for example, once I reach my dream, I'll have enough money, I won't need money anymore. Or once I reach my dream, I'll have enough validation, I won't need validation anymore. Or once I reach my dream, I'll, I'll, I'll have enough success and I won't feel like I need to drive for success anymore. There's just something in us that thinks or maybe even hopes that once we achieve the dream, now we'll no longer be in need. But for Joseph, when he decided to pursue the dream, it actually required him to release self-sufficiency. Let me explain to you what I mean. When the Bible talks about his robe, now in Jewish culture, it was very common for people to have cloaks and robes and different things. They actually signified different things. It would, it would actually be a way of identifying someone's status. So if they, in matter of fact, as you would get raises and elevated, you would get different cloaks and stuff. And so in our culture, we're used to different titles and pay amounts and so on. Back then, it was more the cloak, the robe. So someone could walk into a room and based off the cloak or the robe they were wearing, you could identify where they were in status. And so theologians say when you study Joseph's robe, it was a robe that would have went down to his wrist and down to his ankles. And he says that robe would have communicated to people that it, he was a man of privilege, that he was a man of status, that he was a man who was not a working man. It's why when you read about him, his brothers are working, and he has to go to the field to find them, because it would have been understood that because of the robe, he had all he needed. 
He was not there to work. He was not there to to go out and try to earn something that he needed. If he wanted something, he got it from his father. He was self-sufficient in that way. But when Joseph chased the dream, it cost him the coat. And when it cost him the coat, it cost him the ability to be self-sufficient. The moment Joseph decided to pursue his dream, it cost him the coat. It cost him that whole concept of never being in need. And thinking about that brought up this statement that I want to give you this morning. It's going to build our message today, and I think it's powerful, and it's this. The reason, or I'm sorry, the dream is the reason for our need. It's important for us to understand that the reason we're in need is because we have a dream. That the dream itself actually comes prepackaged with needs. And sometimes the reason that we're actually in need is the dream. Let's go back to Genesis chapter. Look at verse 6 for a moment and watch what it says. So when Joseph came to his brothers, he comes to him. He's got this dream. He's excited. The Bible says that they stripped him of his robe. So by Joseph saying what his dream was, it cost him his robe. Do you see that in scripture? So again, this robe meant self-sufficiency. This robe meant that every need he had was already met, that he would never be in need. But in order for him to chase the dream, it cost him the coat. So in order for him to chase the dream, he was going to have to move from not being in need to move from being in need. He was going to have to go from being self-sufficient to being in a place where now he was going to need help to be able to survive. When God releases a dream in our life, listen to me, it propels us, it moves us towards a need. The the moment that God releases something in your heart, whatever it might be, I've said this a few weeks ago, everybody in this room has a dream. For some of us, it's a dream in career. For some of us, it's a dream in family. For some of us, it's a dream in calling and, and in just in different seasons of life that we want. Now, every different season sometimes has a different dream, but we all have a dream. And when God releases it in our heart, it propels us. It's so powerful that it propels us into a place of need. You, you, you start chasing the dream, and now you need resource to be able to reach the dream. You start chasing the dream, and now you need people and relationship to be able to reach the dream. Now you chase the dream. Now you need hope and faith to be able to catch the dream. It's the dream that propels you into a place of need. And I want you to understand that if by chasing your dream, you're not finding yourself in a place of need, then it's possible that what you're chasing is your idea and not God's dream. If whatever it is that we're pursuing, whatever it is that we're passionate about, whatever it is that we're praying for, whatever it is that we want to see God do, if it's not propelling and pushing us into a place where we, need, need, where we have a need, there's a good chance it's our idea and not God's dream. And here's why. Because when you and I birth ideas out of our own ability, we often birth ideas is that we can already provide for. We, we look around at our life and we look at, at the resource that we have, the ability that we have, and we come up with a dream that we can already do. But a God dream is something that we don't have the ability to do on our own. So if we ever want to know, is it our idea or is it God's dream? The question is, do you already have what you need to do it? Because if you are not in need, you're picking an idea in which you already prepared to do and it doesn't take faith but if it's God dream there's going to be moments where you realize that I don't have what it takes 
to do this. And therefore, I need faith from God. When Joseph chased his dream, he found himself in a pit, and now he needed help out of a pit. Next thing you know, he was being sold into slavery, and now he needed favor from a slave owner. Then he had an interaction with Potiphar's wife, and he needed, he needed a lot of strength to be able to deal with Potiphar's wife. And then after that, he found himself in prison, and he needed a lot of patience for prison. And then he went from prison to interpreting dreams, and he needed discernment and wisdom to interpret the dreams. And then by interpreting dreams, he went to see Pharaoh, and he needed faith in front of Pharaoh. And then when he met Pharaoh, Pharaoh gave him this, or asked him how to help with this famine. And now Joseph needs wisdom and a plan for the famine. And once he overcomes the famine, he has to interact with his family that had tried to kill him. And now he needs grace and forgiveness for his family. When you chase the dream that God's put on your heart, it propels you into a place of need. It's just automatic. That when you step out and go, I'm going to chase what, God's, what, what God wants in my life, I'm going to chase what this is on my heart, you're going to continue to find yourself in places of need. And what I love is there's actually levels of need. I said this in the first service. I used to always hear there, uh, every new level has a new devil, right? But listen to me. Every new level has a new need. Every time Joseph was somewhere and he had a need, God met that need. He went to the next place and there was another need. But there's something in me, and I don't know if it's in you, that I just want to arrive at a place where I, it's, there's no need anymore, you know, where I can just set it up on the counter and be like, that's good. Let me move on to the next thing. But it doesn't always work that way because if there's a dream in it, there's going to be a need in it. And so I have to understand that if I'm going to chase the dream, I have to get to a point where I'm not neglecting the need. God has a way of reminding us that we're not in charge, that he is. One of the ways that God does that is through our dreams. And I think one of the best things about God-given dreams is they don't just reveal to us our true self, they reveal to us our true source. That's what's so powerful about a need. The reason why God would so need into our dream is because it's the need that is going to actually reveal who our true source is in our life. I get it. As you pursue a dream, it will begin to shape who you are. It will begin to reveal your true self because the more that you become that dream God put in your heart, the more you become the best natural godly version of yourself. So it does reveal your true self, but that's not all it does. It also reveals your true source. Because when you find yourself in need, you run to your source. And if I can begin to celebrate need, I can use that as an opportunity to write my source. Make sense? So God says, dream your dream, but in your dream will be a need because in that need, it reveals your source. There was a, a group of scientists and they wanted to do this experiment on pessimistic and optimistic children. And so they gathered a bunch of kids, and they did some tests, and they found out which ones were optimistic, so they put them in a room, and then they found a bunch of kids that were pessimistic. In case you don't know, optimistic means they're positive thinking, pessimistic means they're negative thinking, and they put the pessimistic kids in one room, the optimistic kids in the other room, and they begin their experiment. So they went and got one of the pessimistic kids, brought them into a room, set them down, got their clipboards, got ready, and they went and got an actual live pony, and they brought the pony into the room, 
and they gave the pony to the kid. And uh, within minutes, the kid started saying negative things about the pony. Like, I, this pony's so big. I don't think I'm going to be able to control this pony. I don't even know if this, is this pony going to be mine? Are you going to try to take the pony from me? I don't know if I can afford the food for the pony to eat. Therefore, the pony's to live, so now the pony's going to die, and they're just sitting back taking notes like, my goodness, you know what I mean? Like, we gave this kid a pony, and, and now it's going to die? Like, this is, you know, this is all these negative things. And so then they, they stop that study for a minute. They go to the optimistic kids, and they get one of the kids that's optimistic, and they bring that kid into a room that is full of horse manure or horse poop, all right? That's what's in this room, all right? I'm just going to keep it very PG-13 for you. It's just a room full of horse dung. How you like that word? So they bring the kid in, and they, they open the door, and they're, they're kind of waiting to see how the kid's going to react, and the kid takes off running into the room, grin ear to ear, and just jumps right into all of the horse poop and starts throwing it in the air like this, just grabbing it and throwing it in the air, just smiling, just yay, and just doing all this. And the scientists are sitting back going, what is happening right now? And so they're taking notes of all this, and the kid settles down, and they say, hey, come here for a second, come here for a second. And he comes out, go wash your hands. He washes his hands, comes back, and they say, we got to ask you, how are you so excited right now in this room? Like, like this is a room full of pony poop. How, how, how are you so excited about it? And the kid looks at him and says, you kidding me? All the poop that's in this room? There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. You know what I mean? All right, you know. We won't, we won't tell that joke no more. We're going to take another. Here's the reason for telling you that. We get to decide whether being in need is negative or positive. That's our decision. The question is not whether or not we'll be in need. The fact is that you and I get to decide whether we see that need as a positive thing or as a negative thing. You will always be in need. If every level there's a new need, and you're going to constantly grow in life, you're going to always be at a new level. So you're going to always have a new need. But the secret is you get to decide whether that need is positive or negative. And here's why. Because there are moments where your need is going to reveal or shine light on the fact of your shortcomings. There's going to be a moment where whatever you need is revealing the fact that you don't have all that you need. But it's also going to reveal... And it's also going to shine light on the fact that God will provide what you don't have and he will use what you do have. Does that make sense? So there's a deal for us where we're able to decide, is it positive or is it negative? Is it negative because it reveals my shortcomings or is it positive because it sets God up to be God? Is there a moment where I can be excited about my need because my need moves me into a realm where God gets to be God? See what I mean? Where now I'm not my source, but God is my source. So I get to decide whether my need is negative or my need is positive. People say, oh, how could you be so excited you're in need? I'm excited because God gets to step up and be God. But as long as I don't have a need, then if I'm not careful, I don't think I need God. And if I don't have a need, there's not an open opportunity for God to be God. So I get to a point where I'm not neglecting the need, but I'm celebrating the need because the need keeps God connected to what I'm doing. Watch this video.
So when pastor asked me, the first thing I thought was, what am I gonna do? What are, how do I explain this to Amber? And so it was this fight with myself of like, all right, do I stay comfortable where I am or do I accept a challenge to go do something different that can have great benefit later? I think at first it was a matter of we just knew we wanted to be a part of something um, bigger, something that almost like once in a lifetime, but it was still tough. I grew up in the Memphis area, so to move away from family and lifelong friends was gonna be hard. But I was driving home from work one night and I was listening to a sermon and the preacher, and at some point in the sermon, he made this statement that you can either make sense of things or you can make a difference. It was one of those moments where it seemed like everything around me just slowed down. And from then on, I don't think I ever looked back or questioned it. It was like that just kind of sealed it in, our, in my heart and then that uh, this is what we should do. And I think it did the same for her. I always knew that we would be in full-time ministry together. We would lead a church, we would pastor a church. I didn't know what it was gonna look like. It was definitely just some, one of those things that really built our, our trust in each other and our faith in the Lord, because it was a huge stepping out of the boat moment. So when we made the decision to move with Pastor Troy and Darla, the first obstacle we had to overcome was selling our house. We had bought it three months earlier, our first house, brand new homeowners, very excited. Um, but obviously there wasn't a lot of equity built in that house. I think when we decided that we were going to move, it was didn't make much sense to us because we literally had just bought a home and it was our first home. And so we knew if God was going to have us move, we needed to have this home sell, but we also needed to have it sell for more than what we purchased it for because we needed money to be able to move here. When we were in the process of the selling the house and all we're seeing is the concrete evidence around us, right? We're seeing that it's a buyer's market, not a seller's market. Oh, here we are trying to sell our house. And the house is literally next door to us, the comps sitting there. Then came the challenges of, you can stay in Memphis and you have a job. If you move, I can't keep you employed here. That was crushing. But at the same time, I knew this is what I was supposed to do. So God had to meet that need. God had to show up. It was crazy. Literally 10 months after we had signed the documents, we put it on the market. The next day, we had offers on it, offers for above what we were selling it for and stuff. And it was a scary time. But at the same time, there was so much peace because God was providing um, from our house sale to jobs um, and every, every resource that we needed in order to make that commitment. Three days later, when we got the call that we had a full asking price offer, that was really a, a solid confirmation to us like, yeah, like this is, this is what God wants and He's gonna do it no matter what the concrete evidence is around you, no matter what you see, He's gonna make it work. I mean, that was, instead of like God opening or closing a door, that was God kicking us out the door saying, go. Yeah. that God loves me and loves us so much 
But seeing God as Jehovah Jireh, our provider, that was so evident because we had so much that we needed. God just showed up and showed out who he is. He's a big God and he is a provider. And he did that to plant victory and continues to do it time and time again. It definitely showed me more concrete that God was with us every step of the way. And now looking over it as a bird's eye view, it's like none of that was compared to the stories that we're getting of people whose, whose lives have been touched by victory. The needs for chasing our dream were small for the rewards of chasing our dream. And we love that what we have been able to give up and what the needs that have been fulfilled for us are now where we have the ability to fulfill people's needs and um, push them towards their dreams. Five, six years ago, sitting in Pastor Troy's living room when he's just given this vision and we're just hoping when we get there, people will show up. And now to look back and to see that lives are being changed, families are being touched, um, it's just something special. Uh, every hard and difficult moment is worth it when you hear a testimony of somebody's life that's being changed. Um, it's just something that never imagined I'd be a part of, but I wouldn't trade it for anything either. It sounds so cliche, but the, the needs are so small compared to a God who is so big. All throughout the journey, the right doors have opened every time we've needed them to. He's been faithful, and I know he'll continue to be. Come on, let's give God praise. Come on. You know, it's crazy. You can, when you hear those stories, I think it's so much fun to dream. And it's easy to dream, but you don't always think about the needs that come with the dream. And I love what both Tim and Andrew said in different ways that, you know, when you look at the need and what we went through versus the reward, it doesn't even match. But in that season where all you can think about is your need, it's hard to be able to see the reward past the need. And I think God's dream for our life produces need. And it produces a need because his dream consists of a place that you and I cannot reach on our own strength and our own wisdom. Like there's a part of his dream. There's the part that he's put deep down inside of you. That the reason why it comes with need is because you'll never be able to reach it on your own. The scriptures say that his ways are beyond our ways, outside of our own understanding, which would mean that his dream is beyond our dream. So while we're chasing this coat so that we can get to a point of self-sufficiency, God has planted a seed in our heart of a dream that cannot be achieved without him. That God's dream, listen to me, God's dream was designed to depend on him. Think about that. That whatever it is that God has placed inside of you that wakes you up, that you're excited about, that you dream about, God purposely designed it so that you would never be able to get it without him. It's designed, it's created to make you depend on him. And there's this system where we have this dream and the dream produces the need and then we recognize that we don't have what it takes to meet the need and then we turn to the source and God meets the need and we are built on God's 
faithfulness in the process. As I was watching that video, I was thinking about all of the needs, all of the needs that we had. When we first dreamed about planting the church, we needed a team. <laughs> so we had to go to people and ask them if they would consider moving, and everybody has that story. I love what Jenny said, we just got our house. Couldn't you have asked God a few months before, before we got the house? Like, you, we just got the house comes with a dream as a need. Then we found out we had to sell our house. And then we had to renovate it. And then a water heater went out. We had to find the money for the water heater. And then we had to find the money to raise because we ended up having to resign our position. And we had to raise our salary. And then we had to move here. And we had to find a place to plant the church. We had to find people to be in the church. We had to, I mean, it's just a constant need for the dream. And then I remembered a story that I, uh, I, have, I don't know that I've ever actually told it to a lot of people before because there's been so many stories, so many moments that sometimes it's easy to kind of forget about the ones you've told. And y'all, this is one of those moments where you need to hear it because it's so evident on how good our God is. So we decide we're going to do this big dinner. It's going to be our very first fundraiser. We had not raised one penny for Victory Church yet. This was years ago. And we're going to have this big fundraiser. And Pastor Ron, who was here a few weeks ago, he's, he was going to come in and speak because a lot of these people had served under him as pastor. So he had a lot of influence with them. And he said, look, he said, I'll come in. I'll pay for my own ticket. I'll pay for my own hotel. He said, I just need you to get a location and some food. He said, because we're going to bring the people in and we're going to feed them. And then we're going to cast vision, and you're going, you're going to take up money. And so I said, okay. I said, so we need, we need food. We need catering. We were going to invite 100 people. So I said, I need catering for 100 people, and I need a room that seats 100 people. And at that point, in our victory account, financially, we had $0.00 and 0 cents, all right? It wasn't like we even had a budget to begin with. And so we were praying, what are we going to do? We knew this was important because we need to raise this money. And I'll never forget this. Darla had been serving on the worship team in the choir there was a young lady by the name of Melissa. And Melissa was a single mom, so she didn't have a lot of money. And the rumor was getting around the church that we were leaving to plant this church. And Melissa came to Darla one time. She grabbed her by her arm. She was like, I'm so excited for y'all. She said, I'm so excited. I wish I could go with you, but I can't. She said, but I'm so excited for y'all. She said, I would love to support you. She said, what can I do to help? She said, I don't, I don't have a lot of money. She said, and this is what she said. She said, but I do work at a place that has catering, and it's kind of a, a center area. She goes, any way that you could use a building and some food? Who does that? Like, where, like, how can you argue God's faithfulness in that? That's exactly what we needed. She could have come and said, you know, I, I'll give you a couple thousand dollars, and we would have had to figure out what per She had the place and the food. And she was like, I don't even know if this can help you. Are you kidding me? It's exactly what we need because when God puts a dream in your heart the dream is designed with a need but he's the meter of that need he's the source so the dream is designed to pull us to go to him so that not only does it reveal the true self but it reveals the true source and the more I study this the more I'm understanding this statement right here that the dream that God puts in my heart will demand what I don't have. Whatever that dream is, it demands from you, not suggest, 
not might possibly, demands from you what you do not have. Let me show you what I mean. I want to show you Genesis 37 again real quick. Watch what this says. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, watch this, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, when you think about this dream that Joseph had, his brothers are going to bow down to him in the dream. So in order for this dream to work, they've got to respect him, they've got to honor him, and they've got to see him as authority. You see that? But right now they hate him, and they can't even speak a kind word to him. So what Joseph needs for this dream to happen is demanding something that Joseph doesn't have. This right here is the sweet spot of dreams. Our culture's in this weird place right now where it's trying to teach us to arrive at a place of self-sufficiency where you'll never need. Meanwhile, God is placing things in our heart that have needs that you and I could never reach so that it would draw us to him to be the source. And when I was thinking about this and I started thinking about you, I mean, you need to pray specifically for people who have needs. So do me a favor, stand with me where you are right now. Like I said, when we started this series, I said a few times that everybody in this room has a dream. And I get it that every dream's different. Some people dream of a career, some people dream of a family. Some people dream of a healing. Some people dream of some type of purpose and significance. But every person has a dream. And it's that dream that has brought to surface the need. And I think about all the needs that I know about. You got people that need jobs people that need healing, people that need provision, people that need protection, people that need hope, people that need a miracle. And the reason that need is there is because God tied it to a dream. And the more you chase that dream, the more it pulls out that need. But the need is not there to frustrate you. If we're not careful, we start to neglect the need. And we get mad at the need. And we start to get mad at God, even to the point where we start trying to force his hand to just fix the need. But there's something special about the need. The need is not negative. It's positive. Because it's the need that draws us to God. And again, I, I was telling the first service, some, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a society like we're in right now, where, where gas costs $500, right, to be able to fill up your vehicle, and like you don't know what's happening in the world, the world's falling apart, and everybody's telling you to look to either someone else for your need, or watch this, look to yourself. But the Word tells us to look to God. And the need was never meant for us 
to try to hurry up and meet it so we can get out of the way. The need was simply to move us to a place where we are trusting God. In Psalm 121, verses 1 through 2, the psalmist wrote, I lift my eyes to the mountains. And then he asked the question, where does my help come from? Theologians say that this person was probably on a trip to Jerusalem and was approaching the mountains that they were going to have to travel over. So they were walking up, watch this, on their need, looking at their need. And he says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. I lift my eyes to my need. I'm focused on my need. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. That's what it was then. It's what it is now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was a need meter then. He's a need meter now. He'll be a need meter tomorrow. He is where we look to see our need be fulfilled. And so in a season where everybody is being told to look at their need, the Word is telling us to look at God and let Him be the author and the finisher of your faith. Let Him be the meter of your need. I love that it goes on to say, uh, the maker of heaven and earth. And here's why that's significant. Because if he's the maker of heaven and earth, then he's the creator of the world. And if he's the creator of the world, then he planned your process before you could even breathe. And so therefore, he already knew your need. And so the reason that we can look to him for our need is because he was the creator of the need. And therefore, he's the meter of the need. So do me a favor, close your eyes for a moment. I just want to challenge you for a second. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray specifically for that need. Whatever it might be, you know your dream, you know where you're at. For some of you, it might be physical. Some of you, it might be financial. It might be about provision and it might be about healing. He's still faithful. He's still God. I share this right before I close. I was thinking about Joseph's dream. I want to talk to you for a moment, those of you that that dream seems impossible. Listen to me. When Joseph is serving Pharaoh, he is so far away from his brothers and his father that he doesn't even know if they're alive. And his dream was that they are going to bow down and worship him. How can you believe in a dream that involves your brothers and father and you don't even know where they are? You couldn't be further away from that dream. It would have seemed impossible. But God, 
Some of you this morning, that's what you need to hear. But God, he's still the dream maker. He's still the need meter. Where do I look? Where does my help, does my help come from classes? Does my help come from books? Does my help come from doctors? Does my help come from friends? Where does my help come in 2022? Where does my help come from? Your help comes from where it's always come from. It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The need meter. So do me a favor. If you've got a need, just do me a favor. Just, I just want you to look up. You don't even have to open your eyes. Just look up. Scripture says, I looked up to the mountains. Look up to that need right now. Picture that need in your mind. Father, we pray right now. We pray right now for every need in this room. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're the God that sent Melissa to Darla to provide a room and some food. You're still a God that heals marriages. You're still a God that brings children. You're still a God that provides jobs. You're still a God that does everything that we need. You're a need-meeting God. You're faithful. You never stopped. We just took our eyes off of you. And so let this morning be a declaration for us where we take our eyes off the mountain and we put our eyes on the one who formed the mountain with his words. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in this place. Come on, just, just give him a moment. Tell him your need. However it is you might do it, tell him your need. I know he knows it, but there's nothing like having his children speak it. So Father, right now, for every son and every daughter in this room, I pray you'd hear that need and you would meet that need and you would comfort that need and you would let them know that you are walking with them through this situation. I want to take a second. I'm going to invite a couple of people down, a couple of prayer team members. And we're going to go in a minute to worshiping. But here's what I want to allow. Number one, I want to allow those of you that might be in here that say, this need is a little overwhelming and I sure would love to have somebody pray with me. We always want to do the best we can to give you an opportunity to actually agree with somebody and pray over the situation. And that's what they're here for. Second, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved. And you can do that this morning. And they'll walk you through that. Give an opportunity to be able to follow up and connect with you. But listen to me. As we go into this song and we close off this service, if you know God's speaking this morning, don't leave this place without prayer. Don't leave this place without being encouraged. Don't leave this place without taking your eyes off the mountain and putting it on the one who makes them. So I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, we'll go back into worship for a moment. 
And if you need prayer, we want to invite you to come down. We thank you right now for your word. We thank you right now for your Holy Spirit. We thank you right now for who you are and what you do and how you move and the fact that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are the need meter, that you give us the dream, but the dream comes with the need because it's what you do. And it's all to bring us closer to you and to reveal to us that you are our source. And so, Father, please, this morning, help us. Help us to take our eyes off of our need, our eyes off of the mountain, our eyes off of the problem, off of what's happening, off of the issues, off of the fear, off of the struggle, and to put it on you. Thank you, Father. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.